0: Welcome, everybody, to Crystal Kyle and Friends. We got a little bit of Christmas cheer going on behind us. Right. As you can see.
1: A little red and green. I feel like the green is so much more potent than the red for some
0: Green. Reason. I'm telling you, green's where it's at. People sleep on green, but, you know, my show colors are black and green. Mm-hmm. Now you know why. It pops. It's sexy. I'm not going to lie. I, li- I like the look of it, though.
1: Yeah, it looks good. Yeah, I like it. it. I
0: enjoy it. And and do you enjoy my keyboard? Yeah, um, I was
1: I, I was going to tell you. You should probably explain to the people what's going on with your tech solution over there.
0: Yeah, so I have I have a, <laughs> a Mac too, but I forgot the charger for the Mac and it's got low battery, and so I was like
1: Yeah, but that's not really a full explanation of why you have this gigantic keyboard sitting in front of your laptop. So
0: everybody knows the famous Acer By the way, for the real old school secular talk fans, it used to be a Toshiba. I had a Toshiba (laughs) laptop that I used for like seven or eight years Um, and the Acer replaced it. Uh And so the keys sort of went on it because it's so old. Yeah. And like the workaround was, I guess I'll
1: just get a keyboard
0: and plug in a keyboard.
1: What a normal person would do in this situation is get a new laptop, but instead you're like... I have the Mac. I have the Mac. Right? Yeah. So you aren't using it because...
0: Because the, the the editing equipment and stuff that I was used to for yeah. my show yeah. is, is on the PC, uh-huh. and so I I don't think you can get the same uh, editing equipment and software for the Mac. So it requires a transition of like the thing I use, which is a big learning curve.
1: And transitions are not not your favorite. No,
0: transitions are not my favorite. But I mean, look, <laughs> I'm at a point where it's a it's a necessity in a sense, but, you know, I don't want to fuck it up. I don't want to make the, like, I don't want to have a show or two where it's, like, a transitionary period and everything's fucked up and stuff. Yeah. And, you know what I'm saying? So yeah. Well,
1: as as amusing as this is with it, like, sitting there on the table, it's even funnier when you're, like, doing your work in bed and it's, like, sprawled out across the bed. <laughs>
0: It's, it's a mess. Like, so this laptop is one of those, like, super old ones so that you always need to kind of have the, the charger in there or else it'll die relatively quickly. So, like, I have this plugged in, but it doesn't work just if you plug it in. You have to, like, wrap it around the laptop to make sure it's tight in there. So I got this in. It's wrapped around. I got the keyboard in there. Sometimes I got the mic plugged in and just wires everywhere. It's like I'm doing a show in, like, 1989 or something. Yeah, no, it's a mess. I'm a mess. Everybody knows I'm a mess. I'm not, I'm not uh, fighting that. It's
1: charming. Well, oh, this you. is one of the, your quirks that we embrace about you, babe.
0: Women love keyboards. Yeah, cool keyboards.
1: That's my thing.
0: Yeah. <laughs> I, it, the sound it makes is cool. Remember that sound, guys? Can it, you guys hear you know, it is I actually, like that. I, I, like that I agree
1: sound. that it's more satisfying to type on that kind yeah, of keyboard, Yeah, you though, hear Because the... you get more of a click. There's, like, more movement on the individual keys. Look, so.
0: I'm team, remember when you uh, used to have the phones with the actual keypads on it? Mm-hmm. I loved that. <laughs> and then people, you know, we everybody made the transition, myself included, to that's, a smartphone. It's
1: such a random thing to love. Well, you know,
0: when you're type <laughs> when you're typing on an iPhone, and I have an iPhone, I, I like I, I like it, right? Yeah. But When you're typing on it, it's so easy to, to have a typo because it's just you, you know you can miss the thing you're pressing by like right. a little bit. You
1: really have to look at it while you're doing it. Yeah. Uh, That's one reason why there were some people who, even as BlackBerry was dying, they were, like, obsessive about holding on to their their BlackBerries Mm -hmm. forever because, yeah, they could type. They were, like, pros at using that particular BlackBerry keyboard that has the individual keys that they didn't have to look at or whatever. So, yeah. Yeah. There's a whole community of people like you, babe. I
0: mean, I'm sure there's some company out there trying to bring back, like, a real keypad. With their smartphone,
1: yeah, but they're gonna run up against Apple, which is like a monopoly at this point. So, right, you're yeah. done.
0: So, Apple, why don't you bring out one with a real keypad? I would, I would check it out. I probably wouldn't buy it because I don't like switching phones. I'll have <laughs> this phone for a Transition. Yeah, I'm to this one not done. Fuck that. <laughs> that's a lot of work. I'm not big on the whole like, hey, let's just do this new thing that's gonna take fucking forever to learn. Fuck that. It yeah. was tried and true. Anyway, enough, enough bantering. Um, Why don't you go ahead and tell us? So we have some serious news to start with. We're going to dive into that. And then we got some more fun stuff for more you. playful
1: news And later. today
0: we're going to be talking to Matt Binder, a.k.a. one of the victims of Elon Musk's ban spree. Yeah. Yeah. So he's, he's a, he's, he's a leftist. He's, he's done some good work and then. Uh,
1: sort of unintentionally found himself at the center of this national firestorm.
0: Yeah. But I mean, it really does just sort of expose how fraudulent Elon's project was all along. I'm all about free speech. I'm a free speech absolutist. And it's like... Let's ban like 12 different reporters in an instant.
1: Well, this is I mean, you know, I've sort of like enjoyed some of this stuff with Elon because it's just been very revealing of of him, of depending on any particular like billionaire or oligarch or any individual in particular to save you and like stand up for your ideology, like the idea that he was such some great genius or that the meritocracy is a real thing and billionaires really deserve to be billionaires. A lot of things exposed, a lot of people on the right who claim to be free speech absolutists. And then they've just like jumping through a million different mental gymnastics in order to justify what is clearly brazenly anti-free speech behavior. So it's been it's been enjoyable, in my opinion, all the way around. And I just hope he doesn't completely t- kill Twitter because I do kind of enjoy Twitter.
0: I love how there's always a rationalization too when he does something that's anti-free speech. It's amazing. It was like, well, this is different for reasons. Yeah, but hold on. Anytime somebody on the left would ban somebody, They also had rationalizations. They also had reasons where they'd say, well, because of this and this and this, it's a mitigating factor and therefore it's actually not free speech. It's not banning or whatever. Yeah. And it's like, no, you're coping in the same way that I've seen others cope when they do banning. Yeah. You know? So anyway. Yeah, there's like
1: like four people who are basically principal. Yeah, that's right. (laughs) That's about it. That is
0: correct. Yeah. (laughs) All right. So tell me the uh, serious news first.
1: Okay. so we got new data about uh, life expectancy in America, and it is once again very bad news. So uh, this is from a report in NPR. They say that the average life expectancy for Americans in 2021 shortened by over seven months in a single year. That's according to new data from the CDC. Um, That decrease follows an already huge decline of 1.8 years back in 2020. As a result, the expected lifespan of someone born in the U.S. is now 76.4 years. That's the shortest it has been in nearly two decades. So it's two single years, we erased two decades of gains in terms of life expectancy. The two things they point to as the major contributing factors, um, probably neither one will be a big surprise to you. One was COVID. Um, in 2021, we actually saw more deaths from the pandemic, cl- claimed nearly 417,000 lives. In that year, that was even more than back in 2020. It was the third leading cause of death for the second consecutive year. The other thing that they point to that had a huge impact here, and they. They said that the COVID deaths made up about 60% of the life expectancy change. The other big contributing factor was deaths from drug overdoses. Those reached over 106,000 in 2021. And um, that's you fentanyl. also you that's what that is that's primarily yeah, fentanyl. Yeah. And you also had an increase in death by suicide from liver disease or cirrhosis, which is usually caused by alcohol. That also increased um, and shortened the average American lifespan. And one thing they pointed out, which is math, but it isn't really had something that I had particularly thought about those deaths of despair have primarily come from younger people. And that creates more of a hit. On the life expectancy number, because you know, if you're someone who is already older and you're dying from the pandemic, that's going to have a less of an impact dragging down the average lifespan than if you are someone who's 20, 30, 40, and you're dying way too prematurely from something like um, cirrhosis of the liver or fentanyl.
0: Now, I also uh, saw this fact the other day, mm-hmm. and I just double checked it to make sure that it's true. It is true. Um, it's not as related to this because the numbers in general are much smaller. But uh, the the number one cause of death for children age not 1 to 19 in the U.S. is guns. Mm. Isn't that amazing? Wow. Yeah. So motor vehicles are just below it. Wow. But Yeah. Now, again, it's in a that. a lot of
1: drownings in young kids, too. That's one of the primary causes um, for young kids.
0: Yeah. They have listed here uh, firearm, motor vehicles, other injuries, congenital disease, they don't go go into the specifics of that, but I'm sure, you know, accidents are a huge thing uh, at that age. But uh, to your point, to those numbers, you know, when you look at the cause being drug overdoses, being COVID, it, it, it's fair to say that's like that's a failure of governance in many ways. Correct. You know, because um, deaths of despair is basically what you would put the the drug overdoses in. You'd put it in that category. Yeah. And um Yeah, I mean, there's there's ways to mitigate that. Like if, for example, if we had a country where not only do we have universal health care, but also universal mental health care, including like rehab, that would be you'd see those numbers go down. The other fact is, and this is one that's sort of a politically incorrect truth. It's an inconvenient truth. Part of the problem here is actually the crackdown on the pain pills, which then pushed people into the black market, which pushed them to take heroin, sometimes laced with fentanyl, and they die. Um you know, it was all well intentioned when when people started doing the pain pill crackdown because they thought, "Hey, there's like twenty thousand or thirty thousand people dying every year from these pills." But then there's unintended consequences, and when they crack down on those, now all of a sudden, boom, the deaths go up because now they're taking heroin and it's laced with fentanyl and they die. There's speculation that Philip Seymour Hoffman—that's how he died. Mm-hmm. He took—he was a you know heroin addict. He went and had some heroin, and it was laced with fentanyl, and he died. Michael k. Williams, I think that's his name right the guy the guy who was a wonderful actor who was on the wire and uh, among other things. I think it was the exact same thing with him um in terms of the the covid stuff i mean it, there there are ways to mitigate it. I know that uh covid politics is like you know really uh uh an issue where people fight until they're they're blue in the face, but yeah, you know. Uh, I was always a big proponent from from very early on in the pandemic of uh universal masking because the like Japan was doing universal masking and they were able to hold COVID at bay for a very, very long time just by using that policy. They didn't shut down their economy. They didn't do anything like that. Uh, they just basically everybody wore a mask. It was a social convention there that people just wear masks. And as a result of that, they were able to hold off COVID for a very long time. So like very simple little policy changes uh could have really made a difference here. And well, to see a, a modern nation dropping in terms of, you know, your average age, that is, uh, you know, generally out of step with how other civilized countries progress. Usually they start I mean, adding
1: and adding and adding it's time the, to the It's the age. most basic sign of a society in decline when you see just literal life and death going in the wrong direction. Both of these issues, both COVID and, um, you know, deaths of despair and the lack of mental health care both of these at their core, you know, it's an indictment of our healthcare system. It's an indictment of the fact that we don't have universal healthcare when every other developed nation in the world does. Um, because I mean, you have looked at the stats of how many COVID deaths could have been prevented if everybody had universal healthcare. I think it's a big part of the story. It's a, you know, this is a very complex story, but part of the reason we had so many COVID deaths was because of a long history of, um, disconnection from the medical system of skeptics skepticism of the medical system some of it justified some of it not of you know skepticism of big pharma which is out to turn a profit and that leads people to think you know i shouldn't maybe these vaccines aren't what they're presenting them as so you have layers and layers of distrust but i do think you know sort of at the bottom of that is the fact that you have so many people who are kind of disconnected from having a doctor having a foot into any sort of typical routine primary care and having so many negative experiences with our healthcare system that, you know, ultimately they really didn't trust what was being told to them and made decisions that sometimes cost their lives. So I do think universal healthcare is a big, big part of the story ultimately.
0: Yeah, I can give you the exact number if you'd like. So first of all, it was... um published in June 2022 in the proceedings of uh, national of the national academy of sciences the article i'm looking at here is from scientific american and they say 338,000 lives could have been saved during covid if we just had universal health care yeah and look i mean think of the the reason why this is a lot of people they're uninsured or they're underinsured and when they get sick they have a choice to make you know, do I want to go to the emergency room? And perhaps I'll, you know, I don't have the money. I won't be able to afford it. Uh, They're afraid to do that. And some people try to ride it out and then basically waited until they were so sick they needed to go to the emergency room. And then by the time they got there, it was just too late. Right. So, you know, that's the that's the dynamic that's at work here. And um, unfortunately, I don't think people when we talk about what you just said in this article here i don't think people put two and two together and they realize that like this isn't like some ironclad law of nature that it had to be like this that right. we have to have that's the average right. age going down you know it's like that's actually changeable and um there's policy changes we can and should make in order to go in the other direction i mean i i'm sure you don't have the numbers in front of you there but i would bet that um what's happening with the average age of death in the social democracies is not the same thing that's happening here. You know what I mean? Even given COVID and all, you know.
1: I mean, I think other countries have also taken a hit from my recollection, just not nearly as much. And the deaths of despair, that piece really is a very uniquely American phenomenon right now, which speaks to a lot of social ills. I mean, it's certainly the lack of good health care and the, you know, stigmatizing of mental health care, the criminalizing of addiction. Uh, There's no doubt, like you said, the way that we've gone about trying to fight the opioid addiction crisis has just been completely counterproductive because... Uh predominantly people aren't dying when they are getting their oxy script from the doctor. They're dying once they get cut off and they go to street drugs and they go to the black market. And then, you know, we also have a real stigma around these um just harm reduction measures. Remember the Biden administration tried to do some, like, really basic shit about trying to reduce drug overdose oh, I deaths. And yeah. it was completely, you know, uh, really demonized State by the right...
0: Sites, that's what it was. Yeah, it yeah. was really
1: demonized. By the right, and so you know, there are some basic mitigation steps the thing that uh, Dr. Carl Hart always talks about is you should be able to send away whatever you whatever drug you have, you should be able to get it easily tested to make sure it does isn't laced with fentanyl
0: well the right the right likes to claim like oh you're incentivizing people to do drugs if you have safe injection sites when the fact of the matter is, You know, the proof's in the pudding. The numbers are there that we know that these things save lives because you can make sure people aren't sharing needles. They're not spreading disease all around. These aren't drugs like you just pointed out that are, you know, cut with something that's going to fucking kill you immediately. Right. So they're, you know, provable uh, social improvements as a result of this, but they just don't like that. Oh, this looks like you're incentivizing people to like do heroin on the government's dime or whatever. Yeah. And so they fearmonger over it. Yeah. Yeah. It's total bullshit. By the way, on the issue of like fentanyl and heroin and opioids and opiates in particular, there actually is something that has saved countless lives that's, that's available. But again, because of our terrible healthcare system and mental healthcare system, people don't uh, know about it. But there's this pill called Suboxone, which, uh, really has, has like, effectively cured a lot of people of this uh you know opioid addiction i mean one of my friends his dad was addicted to to pain pills and he was taking like 30 40 a day whatever Mm. the fuck it was life was out of control and then he uh got suboxone and you know he'll tell you it saved his life wow i was just listening earlier to um uh, there was a rapper in in like the mid-2000s bubba sparks yeah i remember him yeah he was like the um like Eminem was the white rapper. Yeah. And like then he came along and was like the other white rapper. Yeah. You know I mean, what maybe I mean?
1: Like the more southern like yeah, redneck yeah, yeah. version.
0: Yeah. yeah. I, I, I like him. Anyway, he um he was talking about how he was addicted to pain pills. I think he had some injury and then he got addicted to pain pills. And then he stopped him cold turkey and realized like had like flu symptoms. It was like, Jesus Christ, my fucking addicted to these pills. And uh, he was buying them on the black market for a while and all that stuff. But he says now he takes Suboxone and and he's good. And he's good. And it's one of those things where like with the pain pills, your tolerance keeps going up and up and up and up and up and you got to take more and more and more and more and more with Suboxone. You just take, you know, one amount and you do it in the morning and then you're just good the rest of the day. Mm, so and you a, don't have
1: those cravings. Right. And a lot and the of people say,
0: you know, they'll argue. And this was the same thing with methadone as well. Remember methadone yeah. clinics mm-hmm. for addicts? They'd be like, well, you're also you're still taking a drug. So are you really, you know, not a drug addict anymore? And my response to that is, who fucking cares? As long as you can get your life together and you can be happy and <laughs> right. you're not about to kill yourself, like yeah. then, like for real,
1: who cares? I so. completely agree. Yeah, yeah. Um, Bubba Sparks had a Timberland beats, right? So, um, I don't remember. I think interview. he did. So, I mean, he was destined to succeed. Yeah,
0: Timberland has made uh, Timberland could have made me an R and B superstar.
1: <laughs> All right, what else you got for us? All
0: right, so um, this is a hilarious story, if you ask me. Mike Lindell is, of course, the unhinged far-right conspiracy theorist. He absolutely loves Donald Trump. He's basically dedicated his life. He's the My Pillow guy, but now he's dedicated his life to, like, I'm going to expose the rigged election. And by that, I mean I'm going to, you know, tell Trump what he wants to hear 24-7 and make a fool of myself, even on CNN. When you make CNN look like they're good at their jobs because you're so insane, that's always hilarious. There was a famous, you know, interview he did with CNN where he, like— goes through all these claims. I got the documents he does the Alex Jones things. He he holds up a piece of paper that's got like all these, you know, these uh these words on it and and numbers and like symbols and he's like I got the documents right here. This shows and then they cut to like CNN actually went to the places where he claimed all these voting machines were rigged and some of the people were like okay I don't even know what he's holding. We weren't ever at any point connected to the internet. So whatever documents he has, he totally made up. Like we're not (laughs) even connected to the internet. And they said, you know, we have, we counted one way and then we did hand count afterwards. And these are the results. It's absolutely proven. Whatever. Anyway, he's a clown of all clowns. Um, well now we got a little bit of right-wing civil war going on because Mike Lindell decided to turn his guns on Ron DeSantis Mm. because Ron DeSantis, of course, is a, is a threat to Trump. And a lot of the polls show that. And, um, He's team Trump. And so he goes out there and says, I don't know, man, I'm not really buying this uh this big victory that he had over in Florida. He wants to audit the election. That's amazing. So here's what they say in the Daily Go BC. Mike go. <laughs> My fellow CEO Mike Lindell has enjoyed the loyal support of MAGA world and concert and conservative circles over the past two years as he's pushed to overturn the 2020 election results. But in recent days, conservative pundits have begun turning on the pillow maven over a new conspiracy theory that involves auditing Republican Governor Ron DeSantis's 2022 victory in Florida. Specifically, right-wing blowback against Lindell began emerging after he announced his plans to audit DeSantis's victory in Miami-Dade County. Now, remember, Miami-Dade right. is usually a blue stronghold in Florida, right. and DeSantis actually ended up winning that. Right. And so Lindell comes out and says, quote, I don't believe it, Lindell said on his frank speech website uh, Tuesday evening regarding DeSantis's 10-plus point triumph so it's just going to show everybody just like we always tell you about democrats where they stole their elections i'm gonna find out if dade county what happened there and so um just one more uh fact i'll give you here real quick is he goes on to say of course republicans don't win this county they've you know so this can't be real um and then a bunch of the uh you know right wing influencers commentators etc absolutely turn on him um So one person says, this is James Lindsay, who's right-wing guy, intellectual, dark web type. Um, he posts about like trans issues all, like 20, all day long, 24-7. Like he does the whole like okay groomer bullshit. Mm -hmm. Anyway, quote, everything down to the wording of this makes me think that Mike Lindell is a highly patriotic but extremely vulnerable man being used without his realizing it to discredit real election integrity efforts, which is evil and sad if correct. Uh, Tim Poole responded with quote, LOLOL. Uh, you have Newsmax TV host John Cardillo said Lindell needs to go away. And, uh, you know, the list goes on. I don't know if, uh, um, if Ben Shapiro has gotten on this yet, but I'm sure he'll have a fucking field day with this one. So, look, like, okay, there's a serious point to be made here, which is oftentimes people like to get into bed with crazy if the crazy is useful for them in mm. the moment. Yes. But then what you don't realize is crazy is crazy. And eventually that crazy is going to be turned on you.
1: Right. Well, like Kanye's whole arc here comes to mind Mm. where like conservatives who are so... You know, they love to slam, like, Hollywood elites, but the minute that there's any sort of, like, celebrity or cultural figure that is remotely amenable to their views, they're, like, so super excited. Yep. And so Kanye, you know, has come out, he's a Trump fan, he wears the White Lives Matter t-shirt with Candace Owens, and they're all so excited, Tucker has him on, and is, you know... Pumping him up as this like conservative truth teller, then come to find out they had left the most like insane parts of that interview on the cutting room floor. And then to come out, oh, this guy is not just like on the right. Oh, he's actually literally views himself as a Nazi and a Hitler lover and all of this stuff. And suddenly there's a distancing. But yeah, that's it was so predictable. This guy's off his rocker and you may take the pieces of it that are convenient for you, but you're going to be stuck and saddled with the other parts of it. So, With Lindell, it it reminds me of that whole arc, too, because, yeah, now you've sold this whole view of, of all the elections that are like they're all suspect. And based on your gut feeling, you can call them into question. So don't be surprised when he does the same thing in a way that you find to ultimately be inconvenient.
0: Okay, but now here I'll say the controversial part. I'm curious if you agree with this. Do you agree with me that this is sort of like a sign yet again that the people who are most connected to Trump world, most involved in Trump world, like the leaders of Trump world, that they are as time goes by, they get more and more disconnected from reality. Mm-hmm. More and more, they they lose touch with like the the normie voter in America. Um, I feel like all of the signs, it's not just Trump who's. You know, going crazy and (laughs) retruthing stuff about QAnon on a daily basis and saying terminate the Constitution or whatever. It's like everybody who is still circling the wagons around Trump and and uh, linking themselves to that world, they've all they're all like crazy like this. And so that I think that doesn't bode well for twenty twenty four for them like it shows me if anything, I think this like helps DeSantis,
1: yeah, I mean, I think what has happened with Trump is throughout his time in political life, he has just consistently thinned his ranks and thinned his ranks and thinned his ranks through all of these loyalty purity tests. And as he continues to force people around him to jump through increasingly bizarre hoops to justify his madness and his conspiracy theories and his allegations, at the end of the day, you end up only left with people who are like legitimately insane. And that's basically the stage of Trumpism that we're ultimately at. Yeah. And
0: I think him, too, though, you know what I mean? Like there was a time in 2016 where he knew how to walk that line properly to get votes where he sprinkled, sprinkled in like the standard right wing xenophobia with like some economically populist arguments. Yeah. Now, sort of a potent mix. But then as time has gone by, 2018, 2020, 2022, and now upcoming 2024, it's like he siloed himself off. He's only listening to the insane people because they're the only ones who will stick around him and tell him what he wants to hear. And now there's like, there's no politicians touch anymore. You know what I mean? There's no reading the room anymore. Yeah.
1: I mean, a different version of this happens, I think, with a lot of presidents, because once you are in the White House, you are almost definitely in a bubble and Trump Loves to have these yes men around him in this very sort of like autocratic way who are going to verbally pledge their fealty and supplicate themselves to him and Good are not going to, you know, won't push back on any of his most insane claims. So the fact that you're already naturally in a bubble when you're in the White House and then he furthers that by just wanting yes men around himself yeah, I think he's completely lost touch. I mean, it was evidenced by when he did his whole, like, I'm going to have a big announcement. He drops this on so- I social. Mean, he hasn't done much of anything since he launched his campaign. And then, it's, oh, I have a big announcement. People are like, oh, what's this going to be? What's it going to be? And then it's his, like, shitty, ripped off NFT collection. Again, even Steve Bannon on that one was like, I, I don't even know what to say about this. Yeah. He was like, I am not with this at all. So... Um, any sort of common touch. And he did. He had a very deft touch. And the the part of the way he did that, too, was he would go out and give these speeches and he would gauge the crowd and what they responded to. He would A-B test. He would then take those pieces and incorporate them in. But he's not doing any rallies right now. He's not really interacting with anyone outside of his very, very inner circle. Instead of being on Twitter, where he has to see at least some mainstream pushback and conversation, he's over-sidelined in the ghetto of true social and only, again, surrounded by people who are are you know total sycophants so he's very 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 disconnected there's yeah. just no doubt about it
0: agreed agreed um speaking of disconnected mm-hmm. so uh there's a guy by the name of josh hawley you may mm-hmm. have heard of him mm-hmm. senator yeah. missouri yes and um he it is missouri right he's from missouri, missouri okay. yeah anyway so he um went on tucker carlson show he's doing his you know like i'm the right wing populist guy tap dancing, right he does. yeah uh-huh uh let's watch the video and then i'll react
1: well, I think that's because the liberal culture, what the message to young people is, the most you can aspire to in life is to be a consumer who sits in a cubicle in front of a computer all day and doesn't right. ask any questions. and doesn't do anything meaningful with your life. And what we need to say to young men and young women, too, is just the opposite. Aspire to be something more than a consumer. And for young men, aspire to be something more than a consumer pornography. Aspire to actually create something in your life, like create a family, for instance. That is the, the, the single greatest act of rebellion, if you like, Against the liberal culture that is that is suppressing people's desires, that is suppressing their potential, is to go out and actually engage in real relationships, get married, have a family, have kids, have your own ideas and be be a responsible member of society. I mean, this is what people are built to do. And, so, and again, it's what young people want to do. They want to be challenged in this way.
0: So first of all, uh like getting married is not counterculture. It's still like most people mainstream still culture. <laughs> yeah, that's mainstream culture. Now, by the way, that's not like, that's not a, a strike against it or anything. That's just describing what is. I don't care about what's counterculture or mainstream culture, this or that. None of that is relevant to me. Why is that
1: conversation matter that, at all? You don't think we're rebelling against liberal culture by getting married this year, babe?
0: Uh, <laughs> I don't even know how to answer that. <laughs> no, we're not rebelling against anybody. We're just doing what we want to do. That's sort of, that's sort of my point is yeah. like. Shut, like, shut the fuck up. You're a senator. Why are you talking about this sort of shit? Right. And I think he's doing like a cheap Jordan Peterson impression there. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Like, he totally. saw the rise in popularity of Jordan Peterson. Totally. And Jordan Peterson is definitely better at sophistry than this goon is. And he goes out there and he does this two-bit impression. And it's just, it it's screechy. And I love, did you see what it said on the bottom of the screen?
1: It's, I saw a few things. It said
0: something about like America needs to address its porn addiction. Porn addiction. And yeah. then he had a tweet along with what he said here. Rebel against liberal culture. Quit porn. Start a real relationship, start a family, have your own ideas, and stand up for them.
1: There's actually a lot to say about this clip because um, Tucker and Josh Hawley and others have identified that you have this – you do have a a crisis where you have a lot of, like, boys and men who feel lost. They feel disaffected. You have the rise of the manosphere. And this is a very, like – hot and viral topic online. So they're tapping into that in a way that ends up being very sort of reactionary. And I do think that there is a need for a, a different version of Jordan Petersonism that's actually like more beneficial and looks more at society as a whole. And the lie that is um undergirding what he's saying in this sort of right-wing populist version of the argument that he's making here is to your point about like what business do you as a U.S. senator have delving into any of this? None one of this is about... Hey, as a society, this is how we've made it really difficult for people to be able to succeed where they feel like they can get married. This is why we've made it really difficult for people to have like purpose and meaning in their life, have a job with a like solid wage where they can be able to afford a house. This is how we've made things so unaffordable and made lives so precarious that people are, you know, moving to these, um, to get themselves through. They're moving to, to habits that are, you know, maybe not in their best long-term interest. Instead, the conservative version of that is just to basically push it on the individual and say, you do better. And it's like, no, no, you're a United States senator. You're in a position to push forward policy that would, as a society, make us healthier, enable people to uh, to have more choices in their life. But he's not interested in that whatsoever.
0: I don't want politicians involved in private lives at all in any way, shape or form. None of your business. Get the fuck out. I would be just as against if there was some, and this wouldn't happen, but if there was some, you know, democratic socialist politician in fucking Portland who's like, nobody should get married. I'd be just as annoyed because it's like, hey, mind your fucking business, Dippy. You're a politician. Why don't you go raise the minimum wage? Why don't you go, you know, uh, pass some law which increases unionization? Let me do anything to help people materially in terms of our private lives, in terms of, you know, drugs, marriage. Uh, you know, fill in the blank with whatever abortion. It's like, stay the fuck away. Stay out of our lives. Let
1: me give you a perfect example of how full of shit people like Josh Hawley are ultimately on this. I mean, Democrats passed an expanded child tax credit that was a game changer for families, a game changer for children, massively reduced childhood poverty. And Republicans uh you know democrats let it die and republicans basically were uh complicit in killing it have no interest in partnering with them on something like that if you really you know care about family if you care about people being able to get married and afford to raise their kids and creating these like wholesome environments that's a policy position that you could take that would be overwhelmingly beneficial to people versus just like wagging your finger and being like, get off porn and have some babies and get married.
0: Yeah, they're against paid maternity leave, paid paternity leave, paid sick leave, paid vacation time, better uh, overtime rules to increase pay if people work. They're against, he's against all of that shit. Sometimes he virtue signals like he's in favor of it, but fundamentally in terms of his voting record, he's not in favor of it. He was against raising the minimum wage, for example. You know, uh, if he was really uh, all about helping people out economically – support the PRO Act, right?
1: Yeah, because, you know, the the reality is it's not like millennials and Gen Z just like don't want to settle down or don't want to buy a house. It's that they can't afford to. So, you know, focus on that area. Make it so that people can buy into that, you know, be able to buy that house, be able to have that life that a lot of people do aspire to and are just literally priced down of right now.
0: And I just and I'm so triggered by this war on porn that they're waging. Yeah. It's just so fucking triggering. Wait, Mike
1: Lee, was he the one that introduced the bill to like ban That porn? would effectively
0: ban porn online. And that triggers me so much because these guys pretend like they're in favor of freedom. And this is like being able to to jack off in the comfort of your own home. And they effectively want to take away the easy ability to do that. And they have the nerve to pretend like they're in favor of freedom. Yeah. And the idea, like, I don't buy that it's some sort of societal scourge. I buy it like, you know, somebody wants to jack off. They boost their serotonin levels for seven minutes and then they go about their day like, maybe there's a tiny percentage of the population that, like, their life is ruined because they can't stop watching porn, you know? But, like, seriously, what percentage are we talking about here?
1: Yeah, I also... This is also one of those issues that could be a bit of a tell. Like, Kanye West talks about this, Cause too. Because he's got because he, right. Yeah, he has talked about having a porn addiction. So I wonder if it's another one where it's, like, you know, the people who are, like, the most virul- virulently anti-gay, oftentimes it turns out that they're struggling with their own sexuality. Right, yeah. I wonder if there isn't a bit of a tell here as well.
0: Yeah, so... Look, my final point, I just, I can't stand, it's it's one thing if it's a non-politician who's giving people, like, life advice and they're doing, like, the self-help guru stuff, and it's like, you can like it or dislike it, whatever, it's fine. But when you are a politician, I don't want to hear shit from you about how people should live their private lives at all. Yeah. I don't want to hear shit, I don't want you to, this is the roadmap. No, the roadmap to improve people's lives is to improve their lives economically, which is something you have direct control over. Give them total... Social freedom and economically make it a a, a more fair playing ground, you know, make it so that the floor is in a reasonable spot and people aren't screwed over from the beginning. Make it so that if they're running a 100 yard dash, they're not starting at the negative 40 yard line as Mitt Romney's son is at the 85 yard line. Right. Right. Like, that's what we want you to do. Shut the fuck up about anything involving our private lives. It's just it's so authoritarian to me. And that's why I despise it.
1: Yeah. Agreed. Okay, so, all
0: right, guys, now uh, we'll go ahead and welcome in our guests, Matt Bender, to talk to us everything, Uh crypto, Elon Musk, Twitter, and more. Matt Bender, thanks so much for joining us, man. We really appreciate it. Oh, thanks for having me.
1: Yeah, our pleasure. Our pleasure,
0: our pleasure. Uh, so, let's start with, let's just talk about the elephant in the room first, which is, you were one of the journalists. I don't even know how long the list is now. Was it like a dozen journalists that Elon banned? Um, tell me... Uh, what their nominal reason was for banning you, how you uh, figured out about it, what's happened since, like, are there still issues with your Twitter? I know you have an issue with your DMs. Talk a little bit about that.
2: Yeah, sure. So on December 16th, I'm, you know, I go on Twitter at night around like eight o'clock and I'm looking through my feed and I see CNN's Donnie O'Sullivan tweet out a statement from the LAPD. And basically this statement is about the incident Elon Musk said happened, uh, a day or two prior where apparently, uh, someone who he claims, uh, you know, was tracking him or, or stalking him accosted his family's vehicle when they were at a gas station. And he used this incident as the reason why he on December 15th, the day earlier, that Wednesday, for the reason that he banned the Elon, uh, jet. Uh, account on Twitter. Now this is an account that basically tracked the movement of his private jet. It's run by a 20 year old college student named Jack Sweeney who has a number of other or had a number of other, uh, you know, um, jet trackers on Twitter. Like he was tracking like Bill Gates jet, for example, and uh, Jeff Bezos' jet, and you know, he he basically used this public data because you know, if you're if you're flying, you need to let the FAA know that your you know your aircraft is is in the air, and so this data is out there for anyone, even just like you know, aviation enthusiasts can go on and uh, find this information and track the location of all sorts of aircraft, and so that day. Uh, that Wednesday, December 15th, he banned the Elon Jet account. He banned basically all of these accounts that track, uh, real time location data, according to what, you know, Musk's phrasing of it was. And that was another way he co- he, yeah, another phrase he used, assassination coordinates, right? Oh my God. And so, <laughs> and so essentially though, he banned those accounts and Sweeney's own personal account, the 20 year old's personal account, and then he rolled out this new policy about, you know, no more location data on Twitter that following Wednesday evening. And he banned those accounts retroactively. Like, like they were banned before the policy rolled out. Like very minority report-esque. Uh, you know, getting banned for an infraction that you would break that doesn't yet exist. Uh So you know, me and a number of other journalists, we we reported about it. Uh We I, I wrote an article about it. I tweeted about it, and so did all those other journalists. So back to that Thursday night, I see Donny O'Sullivan's tweet about the LAPD statement, who at the time basically said they didn't hear from Musk's people. They reached out to him. There was no police report, and yeah, that that's an interesting update. So I shared Donny O'Sullivan's tweet, and the moment I share it, I notice. The tweets no longer showing up it's just he's gone he got suspended so i took a screenshot of that tweet and i posted it again on twitter this time with added context in my own tweet that said oh i you know i shared this tweet from donnie o'sullivan and and shortly after he got suspended and then i see ryan mack from new york times get suspended and people start tweeting at me, like I think you're gonna get suspended. And I, I'm trying to find what the, you know, what the 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 thing is that unites these accounts that we're getting suspended are. Uh, and you know, people know that I've been hard on Musk. My reporting on Musk has been uh, very critical over the past month or so. Uh, I've been basically on this beat nonstop on both Twitter and you know elsewhere. And lo and behold, shortly after, like within minutes of me seeing Donnie O'Sullivan and Ryan Mack get suspended, my account was suspended too.
0: So in other words, it wasn't like just the Elon Jet account, which according to Musk, and we could have the conversation to whether or not this is quote unquote doxing. Of course, I don't think it is. And I can explain why. But digressing from that, it wasn't just the Elon Jet account that was banned. It was also the... uh, personal private account of the of the jack sweeney who runs elon jet it was also by the way the entire mastodon twitter account and the nominal reason there is because mastodon welcomed jack sweeney and the elon jet tracker to their forum and then it was like however many eight journalists 10 12 whatever it was who simply were explaining the story and describing what happened and as crystal pointed out to me in a lot of the articles Maybe they had the link to the Elon Jet account in there, but those links at that time were dead anyway. Yeah. And he decided to ban these
1: people. I mean, there's also one of the more brazen examples was actually um, Taylor Lorenz when she was banned. And they said it was like retroactively applying the policy for an alleged and, by the way, highly disputed um, incident that happened like two years ago where conservatives said she uh, revealed personal details that led to the doxing of someone. I don't even know the details that I think it was of the of lives story. of TikTok
0: thing he was doing. I don't story.
1: think it was. I don't even know. No? This is like an old story from like two years ago. And suddenly right. she gets she gets banned of uh, this policy is now being retroactively uh, applied like years into the past. But lo and behold, turns out that her very last tweet was asking him for comment on a story that she was writing about that him. also disputed some of the key details he had provided about this alleged stalker incident and her, the other person who was shared the byline with her on that story also got banned. So there were a lot of signs here that this was less about like any sort of even thread of a justifiable principle being applied across the board and much more about an oligarch being petty and thin-skinned and not liking the direction of journalistic inquiries.
2: Right. I mean, I didn't even know why I got suspended for a while. Like like when I got suspended, it wasn't – we weren't told why we got suspended. None of the nine journalists who got suspended that night uh, we're told. So not nine, nine journalists were suspended that night, December 16th. And then the next day, uh, Business Insider reporter, uh, Lynette Lopez, she was suspended and she's someone who, uh, you know, has been on the Elon Musk beat for years. She did coverage on Tesla that was very critical starting back in like 2018. And Musk has long not been a fan of hers. And so she got suspended for talking about what was going on. I think. They hit her for something doxing-wise because she was sharing uh, some of her previous reporting that sort of gave some context to the way Elon Musk was currently acting. And then Taylor Lorenz, I think she came out and said it wasn't even the doxing thing she got hit for. She was retroactively suspended for breaking that new policy they rolled out about promoting your social media accounts elsewhere that they later rolled back and like deleted. Yeah, they deleted entirely. But when we, when we were first suspended that night, we didn't know why we got suspended. And then he ran, um, well, the funny thing is before he even rolled out the poll, I was suspended and I, I went on Twitter and I noticed there was like a Twitter spaces going on, like the, the audio chat feature that they have. And there were a bunch of journalists who weren't suspended talking about what was going on. And technically, when you get suspended on Twitter, you're put in this read only mode where you can just see your timeline of people you follow. Like you just see, you know, the tweets and retweets from the people that are you, you follow on Twitter. You can't tweet though. You can't like, favorite. You can't access your DMs. You can't see your mentions, things like that. Um, but I was able to see people in this Twitter space. So I opened the Twitter space and I was able to listen to it. And then when I opened it on my phone, I could see the little mic request button. So I hit the mic request button just to see what would happen. I, I assumed it was going to say I was blocked or something. And they were able to accept my mic request. And I was like, hello, can you guys hear me? And the room like exploded in laughter because they could hear me. I was able to join the Twitter space while I was suspended. And I later found out that it was some like glitch related to the old Twitter back when like Periscope, their live video platform was still a thing and how Twitter spaces was built on top of Periscope. So if they banned you just on Twitter and not the Periscope platform they own too, then you weren't banned on Twitter spaces. <laughs> um, so, you know, Elon Musk came in. Yeah. So Elon Musk came into that chat later that night to like, I guess, give everyone a statement because the chat really started, the Twitter space chat really started to grow. But right before he entered, they kicked me out of the chat. They, they boot, Twitter booted me out of the Twitter space. I'm assuming they fixed it before he got in. Yeah.
1: Well and then right after that I remember he he took Twitter spaces down yeah, it entirely. It so totally stopped working I mean, for a little. They really uh they really owe you. I mean they should they should send you a check because 'cause you're doing some like bug testing in real time <laughs> for them, testing their systems, exposing the problems oh, right. with
2: it. <laughs> so let me right, I should check out if I should get my bug bounty, right. There you go.
0: So um there's a couple things I want to I want to expound on here. One of them I want to talk about that policy change that you guys just referenced, the one where like you can't promote other social media. Because like the whole all like the virtue signaling about like I'm a free speech absolutist and then he he always has these like rationalizations and justifications when he starts banning people and so I'm not violating the free speech thing. It's just this is bad for reasons x y and z. But when you get to a policy of not allowing people to promote other social media, what how else can you describe that?
1: And not to mention the list of banned platforms was so, like, very selective. Yes. It was like, we're going to ban Mastodon, but not Gab. Right. And we're going to, like, TikTok's cool because I got business in China, but not maybe Instagram. And he Instagram. Of
0: TikTok shit. Yeah, yeah exactly. I mean, it
1: was – yeah, exactly. It was very revealing, actually, the list of so-called banned apps were and, – and the policy itself – I mean, this is a part of – Matt, we were talking about how in a a sort of twisted way I've like enjoyed all of this because it's been mask off for so many people who are hypocritical. And it's also been just total mask off for this dude who we're supposed to believe is this supreme innovator and (laughs) genius. And not only was the policy authoritarian, it also just didn't make any fucking sense. It was like you can't post links, but you can actually cross for months like. This doesn't even, what are you even talking about? What is even this policy ultimately?
2: Right, they, they clearly, I mean, they rolled it out during the World Cup, which I mean, shows that they were hoping it would sort of fly under the radar, which, which it didn't. Like the world, you're going to roll this out during the World Cup finals. I mean, really when everyone on Twitter's talking about that, people saw through that, I think, but also like, they banned the ability to post Facebook and Instagram links. Those are two of the biggest social media platforms there are. Like, did they not think this through that people were gonna there's gonna be outrage from creators who actually use those platforms to to make money? Um I mean also Mark Zuckerberg, if he wanted to be petty back, he could have easily just blocked Twitter links and that would have screwed over Twitter a lot more than it would have screwed over Facebook and Instagram. It made zero sense. And it is absolutely, fl- it absolutely flies in the face of everything Musk has portrayed himself as. You know, he comes in saying Twitter's going to be a more transparent and fr- a free speech place. And it's just clearly not been the case since he's taken over. Yeah. I mean, Imagine
0: we were talking about this when he first rolled out that policy. If if the original iteration of that policy, and he, he went from like putting it out there to weakening it to scrapping it all together, but right. if the original iteration was actually implemented... You're talking anywhere from 30% to 50% of the platform overnight that's going to get banned.
1: I mean, that Kyle and I were watching to see what was going to happen next because it was like, you know, how many people have their links in their bio of wherever else they are or their link tree that has all of their links? I mean, you're talking about millions upon millions, if that policy is actually applied, of accounts that get banned. And then Elon pops up on Twitter with this sort of cryptic tweet that's like, sorry, guys, I'm not going to make any more major policy decisions without a vote. OK, and people kind of took that as, OK, he realized this one was really stupid and is not going to work out whatsoever. And then he puts out the poll of whether or not he should step down as head of Twitter. Ultimately, you know, the masses say, hell, yes, we're done with you. Please move on. <laughs> that's right. I wonder what your view of that poll was, because there's a lot of conjecture about, you know, he was in Qatar for the World Cup. He's there with Jared Kushner. There's a lot of potential funders there. We know that there are uh, Saudi and I think Qatari investors in uh, Twitter already. We also know that uh, Tesla investors are very unhappy with this whole uh, slew of events. Tesla stock is down like almost 60 percent at this point. So they're like, "Okay, dude, wrap it up. Get back to doing the thing that you're supposed to be doing here um at the same time you know maybe he thought he was going to win the poll and maybe he could thought he was going to be able to turn around and say to the, like to his haters like look the people actually love me what is your view of of all of that the reasons behind the poll did he expect to win did he expect to lose and what do you think he's going to do next
2: right i mean i i love how his you know his fan club loves that he does this whole poll thing uh because essentially his polls are, are are more like this like he puts out a poll and it's like uh should i shoot this dog in the head or in the leg and his fans will all vote in the leg, and then when he says, "Okay, I'll I'll shoot the dog in the leg," they all go, "Oh, this! I love Elon Musk. He's so great. He listens to the people." Well, I mean, a normal person, a good person, would just not shoot the dog at all. Like his his polls always have some weird sort of um a, a slant to it that basically. It, it, they're either slanted to lure people to vote for the one, the the choice that he wants, or all the choices are just bad to begin with. Like going back to how I ended up getting initially unsuspended too. He originally rolled out a poll thir- that Thursday night, asking people if they wanted the journalists to be unsuspended either. And he worded it. When should I unsuspend the journalist who doxed my family and myself and put us in danger? Like, that's a leading question. Uh, but his choices were never, uh, tomorrow, seven, I mean, excuse me, the choices were now, tomorrow, seven days or longer. And people voted now. Now won. People wanted us back immediately. He didn't like that. So he found some way to rerun the poll. I think he said, if I recall, he said, oh, I gave you all too many choices. Let's make it simpler. So he reran the poll. And instead of making it an hour long poll, he made it a 24 hour long poll. So we would still be suspended for at least a day, regardless of what happened. And the choices were now or in seven days. Well, after 24 hours, now won again, but by even a larger percentage than it did previously. So we did end up getting unsuspended, but the, the, uh, the addendum there is we had to delete a tweet to come back. In fact, they didn't tell me that at first. Uh, Ella Irwin, the head of trust and safety at Twitter, uh, reached out to me after I, I inquired. I was like, why did I end up getting suspended all these other journalists know what tweet they that got them suspended for you guys just brought me back what did I do they ended up telling me that something happened a mistake a glitch someone forgot to put me in the system to force me to delete the tweet so they brought me back without telling me and then they immediately locked my account once I told them and they're forcing me to delete this tweet now which is why you can see my account it's not suspended anymore but i just can't tweet from it but yeah the poll thing that he does is ridiculous if he doesn't go his way he blames the bots if it does go his way he says the people have spoken um my favorite was when he did the um he just, his most recent poll was on the uh, that the, the trillion dollar spending bill that uh he wanted people to vote against cuz you know of course for some reason elon musk thinks his poll has power over what the U.S. government, you know, what Congress decides to do. But he ran a poll. Uh, should they pass this bill or should they not? And he immediately said, uh, bots incoming, thinking that it was going to be a mess. Like, yes, voting against him like the other previous polls went. But they didn't. Like, it shows that the polls are legit. He just thinks when it doesn't go his way, there must be, you know, it's rigged. Something went wrong. Rigged on his own polls. He owns the polls. It's his Twitter.
1: Right. Yeah. Very,
0: very Trumpian. Stop
1: the steal. That's all very
0: Trumpian.
1: So uh, go ahead. Uh, I was just going to ask where the story is right now. What tweet are you supposed to delete? Are you going to delete that tweet? What's going to happen now for you and your personal account?
2: Right. So the tweet that I have to delete was a tweet pointing out that, um, you know, within the Twitter files discourse, uh, you know, he's been uh, releasing these Twitter file documents to journalists like Matt Taibbi uh, and Barry Weiss, and I know, uh, maybe I should put journalists in quotes, because the, the whole situation of them taking these files and basically framing them exactly how Elon Musk wants them to, even though when they actually post the screenshots of what these documents actually say, they nine times out of 10 say the exact opposite of what Taibbi and Weiss and the others who've been covering this are framing it as. But, you know, within the Twitter files discourse, I noticed that when in October 2020, when Twitter was blocking the sharing of that New York post, Hunter Biden story, uh, they were blocking the link to that on their platform. And that's something that was dumb of them to do. It was obviously wrong of them to do. It's something that Twitter actually reversed course, uh, fairly quickly within hours of doing that in October, that one day in October, 2020. And the Twitter files show there was intense debate back, st- uh, you know, behind the scenes at Twitter, uh, over, you know, should we do this? No, we shouldn't. There was a real, like, debate, and internal discussion about this. Uh, I simply wanted to show that what they did in October 2020 that Elon Musk wants us to know was bad. Blocking this New York Post link. He was doing two links to the Elon Jet, uh, you know, tracker on other platforms. Like if you tried to post a link to its Instagram or Facebook account, it would block it in the same exact way. Same two error messages, same exact wording on both, same system they were using to block them. So I literally just wanted to point that out. So I, I. Framed it with that context in my tweet, and I added two screenshots: one of the error message you received in October twenty twenty when you tried to post the New York post link, and one when you tried to post the Instagram handle of the uh, Elon jet account and because in one of those screenshots, you can see the handle to the Elon jet instagram account that's essentially what got me suspended from Twitter. It wasn't even a link; there was nothing you could click. It was a screenshot of a handle. Wow. So so let's
0: get to, I want to get to the to the core of the question here, because I feel like this is the most important point to make. And everybody sort of skirts around it and doesn't address it. Um, so now, by the way, the incident that happened, which Musk claims, hey, this is because uh, of the Elon jet tracker. There's now reporting that, number one, the incident happened a full day later after a flight. And number two, it happened nowhere near the airport. Also, like, his bodyguard is involved. So, in other words, all the the evidence at this current moment indicates this has nothing to do at all with the Elon Tracker. Yeah. But, so let let me ask, and I'm curious what you think about this, too. There's a question, is it, is what happened actually doxing in the first place? And the, the definition of doxing is to search for and publish private or identifying information about a particular individual on the internet, typically with malicious intent. Now, when you asked me the other day my definition of doxing, I, I said something very similar to that. Right. And I think a crucial part of it is the malicious intent portion, right? Mm-hmm. So that part uh, totally is lacking with the Sweeney guy who tracks all these billionaires' jets. I mean, I think he's like – you know he looks up to these people or whatever, right?
1: He did anyway.
0: So he did, right, <laughs> at least with Musk. Who knows? If right. He knows. <laughs> um, and then the other thing is um, this – I mean flight data is public. And so with no malicious intent and with the fact that this is uh, – technically public data even if somebody claims i don't think it should be public data the fact that it is public data and there's no malicious intent strikes me that even if you believe in a rule against quote-unquote doxing which i'd be open to that you know i think that's i think it's fair to have a conversation about laws around doxing not just stuff on social media because that you know i think that might be a fair exception to to free speech because in many instances it does lead to direct threats and whatever but i don't think this meets that definition
2: what do you think matt what do you think crystal Go ahead, matt yeah, I, I completely agree that it doesn't meet the definition. I mean, uh, for all the reasons you said, um, ov- obviously it's newsworthy and noteworthy too to find out, like to me, the main purpose of the Elon tracker. I mean, obviously if he's going somewhere, uh, interesting, like people were able to track him going to the World Cup finals. Sure. I think that's noteworthy, uh, the specific location, but in the aggregate, the main purpose, especially for Elon Musk, isn't so much exactly to and from locations as to where his jet goes. It is how often and how far he takes his private jet. Because essentially, this is a guy whose entire claim to fame, his entire success story is mostly built around Tesla a supposedly green, environmentally friendly company. And Musk is sort of portrayed as this great environmental hero who's going to save the earth and the human race from climate catastrophe. And when you look at just how much this guy – basically doesn't put his own money where his mouth is when it comes to his own personal life, the amount of pollution, the amount of emissions this guy puts out there from his constant flying back and forth, uh even short distances that he could easily just take in a more, you know, a, a greener, uh, uh, you know, uh, transportation. Uh, this guy is just flying all over the place. I believe that trip to the World Cup, just one way from the US to Qatar, his private plane uh, from what I read, put out the same amount of emissions that you or I would put out commuting to work every single day for nineteen years. I mean the whole like the whole aura the whole story of Elon Musk is just built on lie after lie after lie um, I mean even Twitter when we see what he 's doing here. Um, you know to your question with uh doxing even more more specifically, I mean the jet too we're not posting his personal address we're not even posting his exact coordinates. The tracker could only track the jet, and these vehicles, these jet aircrafts never leave. These public airports. It's not like you drive it to your, you know, it's like you park your jet in your driveway when you get home. No one will ever know where you go. Once you leave the airport, if you've ever tried to find someone to meet up with someone at an airport, when they're trying to actually meet with you, and they're telling you to meet somewhere, you know how hard that is. Imagine trying to find someone at an airport, you would need to know exactly the terminals, all that stuff where they're going to where their car is parked. It's not possible. And to what you said too, you know, the police came out and said that after looking into this incident, we think it's highly doubtful. I mean, they didn't, they flat out are saying like, we don't even think it's possible, that plausible, that the, uh, the guy was tracking the Elon Jet to, uh, you know, to find that car. Second of all, there was another report that came out, uh, the one that Taylor Lorenz, uh, co-wrote, co-authored, where they found the guy who essentially is in that video that must said was the stalker. And the guy essentially, he's a little bit, you know, a little bit mentally unstable, but he wasn't even, he doesn't even care about Musk. He's a Grimes uh uh stalker. He's addicted, he's like a infatuated with Grimes, his uh, you know, his ex-wife or girlfriend. And then on top of that, another story came out just yesterday, I think it was from The Guardian, where the police are now saying that they are they are looking at a suspect. And that suspect is not the guy in that video who is the who's like obsessed with Grimes. The suspect is Elon Musk's security guard who was filming that video, they believe he started the confrontation to begin with. So this whole story is just like every new piece of evidence that comes out just unravels it to show that the whole reasoning for this location-based policy, for the banning of Elon Musk, for this whole uh, you know, news cycle about arguing over doxing. It just was all bunk to begin with. It just sits on the same sort of, uh, throne of lies. You know, it's the holiday season. Got to use an elf quote. Um, sits on the same throne of lies that Musk's entire career has sat on.
0: So I want your thoughts on the doxing thing yeah. in a second, but let me just add real quick that Musk gave out his own assassination coordinates (laughs) when he was at the World Cup. Right. He tweeted a video from his exact position or tweeted a picture from his exact position.
1: Yeah, I I enjoyed that because after all of this, his very, you know, hand-wringing and angst-filled discourse about his safety and protecting his location, he then tweets out these pictures of him at the World Cup, doxing himself, revealing his own assassination coordinates. I mean, I agree with you guys. I agree with Elon Musk's original view of this whole situation. When he initially tweeted, and this is why this was such a big deal to begin with, when he first was taking over the platform, he tweeted about this very account and said, my commitment to free speech is so total and absolute that that even extends to this Elon Jet account. But you know what? Even if you were to get grant them, which I don't agree with, but even if you granted them that this is doxing and could be legitimately banned under some terms of service. That does not even come close to justifying all the journalists, the entire platform of Mastodon, any links to Mastodon, all of that. I mean, and I just haven't seen the people who were trying to defend them, uh, to defend Musk in this policy. It seemed like they just wanted to completely ignore that any of that piece ultimately right.
0: happened. Yes, they would be like, this is doxing. And so on that alone, like, it's shut your brain about- off, it's done. That means you get rid of a Washington Post reporter, a New York Times reporter, an Intercept reporter, CNN a National report, reporter, yeah. a CNN. Like, what the fuck are we really talking about here? And by the way, they... So one of their talking points was... Actually, this isn't public data because Musk had this thing called a PIA, I believe Mm -hmm. it's supposed to be like this actually allows
1: it private
0: public jets to be private for safety reasons. So actually, he did have this. Now, by the way, there's counter reporting. There was a Bellingcat, Bellingcat reporter who looked into that and said that's actually not true at all, because if he had this PIA protection thing, then he would, you know, then. I wouldn't have been able to find his flight data so easy, and I was able to find it very easily. So he either right. has it and doesn't use it or doesn't have it or whatever. Listen, but to your point, even if he did have it, uh, even if he had that protection, then, okay, maybe there's a conversation to be had about just the Elon Jet account. But the Jack Sweeney account, the Macedon account, all the journalists who are just literally reporting facts about the situation, there's no way you can justify banning them.
1: Listen, Sager made this point on breaking points, and I'm going to steal it because it was a good one. If his privacy is of such paramount importance, he can always fly commercial. That information is private. So if this is really important to him, he can feel free to fly commercial. No problem
2: right I mean I even read that again I'm not an aviation expert but I read that you only necessarily have to log your flight information with the FAA if you're flying at like a certain uh altitude too like there are there are, there are plenty of people who fly below that in order to not have to log their information obviously I believe you can't you know you don't get to your destination as fast um but he there's many things he can do to obscure this um but he just chooses not to because Frankly, it's just not an issue. It really isn't. It was just an excuse to, really, to show that he he uh, makes policy based on pure emotion. Something happened to his family, or allegedly happened to his family. Again, we now know that that's even in question. But and he he ran to, the, to Twitter and changed policy based on his feelings at that moment, and it really just sort of affected. Very few people, what? Who, who like would have their private location data? Put out there like that, real, in real time, other than people who obviously want their location data out there because they're at an event and they're tweeting about it or, or posting p- pictures. Really, just very rich people are billionaires. No one else, uh, and billionaires. No one else is in this situation. Um, and there were even carve outs in that policy to allow people like, you know, uh, Chaya Rychik of Libs of TikTok to continue doing what she does, where she sends her right-wing followers to, you know, uh, 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 drag story time events so that they could go and harass the parents and the kids and the, uh, the drag performers who are at these events. Um, you know, it's a public event, so it's allowed. Uh, so you could, you know, you could harass these families, but because Elon Musk is traveling and his travels shouldn't be known, even though they are, that's where we draw the line. I mean, the policy makes no sense.
1: Yeah. Completely agree. Um, Matt, I know you've been doing a lot of reporting, too, on another uh, former oligarch who just had his mask ripped off, which is Sam Bankman-Fried and the way his whole crypto empire uh, completely crumbled in a pile of billions of dollars of criminality and an illegal political influence scheme. I mean, what do you think that that whole scenario also says about the way he was able to build his brand in D.C., build his brand with, uh, you know, a bunch of media outlets and what it sort of revealed in, in the moment of his collapse?
2: Right. Yeah, I mean Sam Bankman-Fried is someone who built himself up as the face of crypto. Uh you know, he spent a lot of money to do this. Uh, a lot of lobbying, uh you know, he spent something like 37 million dollars that we know of uh because he also claims he uh, also spent a lot in dark money. About we don't quite know exactly the details there yet, uh, but he spent something like thirty seven million dollars just this past midterms to support different candidates um you know both Democrats and Republicans. There was a lot of reporting around the Democrats he supported, but he also sent a lot of money to Republicans, and uh one of his co-executives over at FTX donated almost the same amount he did to almost strictly Republicans as well so fTX crossed the board was trying to get their fingers all over everybody. And essentially the reason for this was to be able to mold crypto policy. You know, crypto has basically risen since 2021 to the mainstream. It's been around for, geez, about 13, 14 years almost now. And it's mainly been a investment vehicle for people who got in early, who got lucky, essentially played the lotto and struck it rich. Or very wealthy people who are able to buy in at big numbers so it matters when their large holdings they spent a lot of money on go up. Uh, Every other person, especially those who bought since crypto went mainstream in 2021, has basically been left holding the bag. Everyone who bought, for example, Bitcoin in 2021 is basically in the red. They have the Bitcoin is now trading well below levels it traded at 2021. Again, this is when crypto really went mainstream. This is when your mom, dad, grandma, grandpa, uncle, whoever who isn't tech savvy and knows nothing about this stuff. That's when they asked you about it. And that's when they decided, Oh, I'll invest some money in it. Cause they saw a number going up and they were told constantly that number is going to continue to go up and they're all at a loss now. And the people who, you know, who win this game are again these VCs who've invested in crypto, these other rich crypto people. And the game is basically rigged from the very start, much like the, the, you know, the, uh, the old financial system. But the sad thing here is that crypto was built up and sold to people as something brand new. It was going to replace the old financial system, and it was going to be the great equalizer. Everyone was going to get rich and make money. Their quotes, their phrases, you know they would constantly say, uh, "We're all going to make it, uh, you know don't don't tell you know if, if you're not buying in, you're going to be a big loser. It was their constant like sloganing too. Um, you know, even major crypto exchanges, uh, crypto.com, the, the famous Super Bowl commercial, the infamous Super Bowl commercial now, uh, fortune favors the brave. I mean, basically, you're a wimp if you don't buy in. You know, if you bought in, you're also, uh, at a loss too. And so Sam Bankman Fried is an example of a guy who tried to make himself the face of crypto. He was successful. And then a few people, uh, at CoinDesk and a great crypto investigator, independent journalist, uh, Mike Burgersberg. It's a, it's an anonymous, you know, it's a pen name. Um, but you know, they looked into this and they found that Alameda research, FTX's hedge fund, was basically insolvent. And once this news broke, it started a whole avalanche where Binance, one of their competitors, and the leading uh, crypto exchange ended up selling off all of their FTT tokens, which was FTX's own crypto token, and once that started to happen people started to worry about the liquidity over at FTX directly as well so then FTX's customers started to sell off uh, started to withdraw their funds and i think it was within like something like 48 or 72 hours billions and billions of dollars were just taken out of FTX which eventually led to them filing for bankruptcy which eventually led to a, a a hacker or someone whom we still don't know stealing millions and millions of dollars from FTX the same day they went bankrupt. Um, you have a new CEO over at FTX who was the guy who was hired to clean up Enron saying FTX is the worst he's ever seen, which means it's even worse than Enron. Um, millions, uh, billions of dollars, I should say, in customer funds were basically funneled from FTX where they thought it was just safely being stored to Alameda where it ended up being, you know, basically squandered on risky investments. And there are countless people who are out money here and all these VCs, all these people in the tech and finance space, all these politicians too who were you know, eating up the SBF uh, Kool Aid, they all built up this guy as the next big thing, this crypto kingpin. When it turned out he's a, he's a fraudster who might even be, be, you know, a, a bigger, uh, you know, a bigger criminal than uh, Bernie Madoff.
0: Yeah. So let me ask you this. I know this is a difficult question, but I'm curious your thoughts on it. Is Binance going to go down? And if Binance goes down, is that like basically a wrap for crypto?
2: Here's my personal opinion. Crypto is done. It's been done for, for many years. We're going to see failure after failure after failure this next year or so. Um, I mean, we already saw it this year. Like we saw a, a major stablecoin, Terra, basically collapse, which caused the entire crypto meltdown in May. And then after that, we saw crypto lender after crypto lender fall. Basically, these companies that borrow money from uh, crypto holders, they store this money and in return, they would promise super high yields. Like yields is high that was so high that would make the people who invested in Bernie Madoff question. And whether this was a legit investment, and in turn they would then give out loan, crypto loans to people, and what ends up happening is that the whole thing was 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 bullshit. It's all, all almost all of these crypto uh, platforms right now that we're talking about, FTX, um, and these crypto lenders basically take part in what's called a flywheel scheme and what that is is basically these companies come up with a a, a token you know let's say there was a, a crystal kyle and friends coin uh kkf coin and you guys decided to mint a whole bunch of them you decide to mint like i don't know millions and millions of these tokens and you decide to then hold on to i don't know let's say 70% of the tokens and then your friends your early investors you decide hey We're going to give, uh, you know, uh, 10% of these tokens to you guys as a really big discount. So like so low that even the opening selling price, when we sell it to the public, you're already at a, at a, at a, you know, in the, in the green, you're already making a profit. So they, they buy in. So there's, that's 80% now that the the 70% you held for yourself, the 10% you gave to your friends and investors. And then you open up that 20% to the public. And so the public's buying in. Let's say it opened at five bucks. They're buying in. It hits 10, 20, $30. And that's where, you know, that's where it gets to. That's the, that's the peak for the moment. So the token sold, you sold 20% of that token and it's now valued at 30%. What these companies now do then is then say, Oh, okay. That means that each of the tokens we held, again, they held 70% of these tokens. That means each one of them is worth $30 USD. That's not true. We all know that's not true in terms of the liquidity because only 20% were ever sold to the public. So that means there's only 20% of that token actually has liquidity behind it. But you're going ahead out to investors and VCs saying, we're a You know, billion dollar, you know, we're a company worth billions and billions of dollars because we have 70% of this token that's worth $30. If you tried to actually sell off that 70% of that token for real USD, you couldn't do it because not that mu- there's there's not that much liquidity there. But that's how they raised money and that's how they're able to tell people that's how much they have, that's how much they're worth when the money was never there. So all it then takes is for some big investor to then sell off like did like what happened with Binance with that FTT token, and then all of a sudden you have the public going, "Oh, we got to sell off." And then once they sell off, there goes all the real actual money. So you're still holding 70% of the the KKF token, but everyone who actually put their money in withdrew it, sold off their token and and got their USD out, which means you're now holding 70% that's backed by nothing. And that's why all these companies are now failing. And you're going to find out that so much more is behind these companies. Uh, So many of these, this is the, excuse me, this is the same dynamic behind so many more of these companies. The largest stable coin, Tether, people have been just waiting for it to collapse because basically whenever Bitcoin starts to dip, the company that runs Tether just all of a sudden prints up billions of dollars in Tether and then disperses it to their partners at various different cryptocurrency exchanges. And all of a sudden, these big Bitcoin purchases are made that then pump up the value behind Bitcoin. Now, how much actual cold, hard fiat money is behind it? We do not know because there's so much Tether and other stable coins in the system. um when that collapses, we will know just how much actual cold hard cash is behind crypto. And I think the reveal to a lot of people is it's not that much. So will crypto be dead when this is all said and done? I think there'll always be advocates who continuously try to push it. But I do think as an investment vehicle for the mainstream public, for the retail investor, I think it's already dying, if not already dead. Um It's People are are, are are sick and tired of seeing their money just evaporate on what they told was the future.
1: Yeah. I mean, just to elaborate on a little bit of what you're saying there, because I went into Binance this week and also did some digging with Tether. I mean, Binance is the number one crypto exchange in the world. So critical piece of the infrastructure. Um the dude who runs it, CZ, says you can't even really call it a company. It's not actually based anywhere. People don't. There's no transparency around, like, who owns it. There's no board of directors or traditional shareholder structure. The only thing they had, he swears all the customer assets on the platform, they're backed one to one. The only proof of that. Was this proof of reserves that a accounting firm called Mazars had prepared? Well, Mazars has now pulled down said uh, we don't we don't want anything to do with any of this. Um, CZ got pressed in a CNBC interview of like, okay, well, if the reserves are all there, why not do an audit with a big four firm to reassure everyone that the reserves are there? And he gave this whole line about like, well, well, they they don't actually know how to audit crypto firms, and the host hits him back with. Well, they audited this other exchange, Coinbase. Deloitte audited them. So what's the problem? And he had nothing to say in response. So basically, you're supposed to take the word of this one dude for the fact that they're all on the up and up. And that's before you get to Tether. There was an interesting thing that came out about Tether, too, where Sam Bankman Fried, CZ, and some other big players in the crypto space, they're all in this group chat. That's called like, it's called Wire something fraud. really sketchy. Wire ca- fraud. No, this is a different, oh, a different one. It's one? called right. like, it's called like mar- market coordination or something like that, which again sounds just I like think it was, brazenly it illegal. Actually
2: manipulation actually. <laughs> yeah, for real. Oh my god. So, um, we commit crimes here. <laughs>
1: right, exactly. So Sam right. Bankman Fried and Alameda had made some sort of a $250,000 transaction regarding Tether as Sam Bankman-Fried's House of Cards is completely falling apart. Now, in the world of crypto where there's billions changing hands, fake billions, often cases, changing hands all all over the place all the time, $250,000 is chump change. And yet CZ and these other dudes in this exchange are freaking out about this piddling $250,000 trade regarding Tether and accusing, directly accusing Sam Bankman Fried of trying to kill Tether and sort of like retribution for his whole empire ultimately collapsing, which raised a lot of eyebrows because it was, if it was like, oh, is Tether so fragile that a potentially $250,000 transaction could send the whole thing crumbling? And as important as Binance's to all of this infrastructure, tether as this is like the stable coin that at this point undergirds everything if tether falls apart my understanding is the gig really is up for uh almost this entire space
2: right yeah it's 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 all it's like it's like they built this entire industry on toothpicks and then just printed out photos of steel beams to like put in front of the toothpicks for people um it Right, right. It's like, it's everything, everything. We, we've always seen this in crypto. All it takes is for one major platform, one major token, one major company to fall, and then all of a sudden there's a domino effect. Um, you know, when, when you think about, it, you know, you mentioned $250,000. You know, there's a lot of problems with the old finance system, with the banking system. No doubt about it. And, and it would be great to do some, some great upheaval on what the current system is. But when we're talking $250,000, Um, if you have two hundred fifty thousand dollars in your bank, and by the way, if you uh were thinking of you were shopping around for a bank to leave your money with, you probably wouldn't shop with a you know you wouldn't leave your money with a bank that insists it's not really a company. I mean that's just bizarre. Um, but if you put two hundred fifty thousand dollars with a bank, you're federally insured up to that amount of money. Two hundred fifty thousand dollars is safe no matter what happens to that bank. That bank they could go under, and that money you'll get that money back. With crypto, there are no regulations, no safety nets, um, you know, no insurance policies. You lose that money if it's a dollar, if it's two hundred fifty thousand dollars, if it's more. And some of these companies even faked the fact that they were backed. I think Voyager was one that claimed that they were actually uh, because they personally banked with a bank. That that bank would cover their customers, which is ludicrous on its face. But they advertised it that way to their customers. And of course, when they went bankrupt, that was not the case. Those people were not covered. They're still missing out on their money. Um, Crypto is going to uh, have a very hard 2023. If you thought 2022 was bad for crypto... Uh, you haven't seen anything yet, especially when you consider that, uh, SBF is now, uh, has been arrested. He's been extradited to the United States just last night. Um, his, uh, two high exec, up executives at FTX and Alameda. Um, one, his ex-girlfriend, Caroline Ellison, of uh, the CEO of Alameda. She has pled guilty to a plethora of charges, uh, relating to fraud. And in addition, she's going to cooperate in the case against uh, Sam Bankman Freed. Now, if Sam Bankman Freed is really screwed, I would assure you he has something up his sleeves that will probably help him, I don't think cut a great deal, but maybe get a, a number of years shaved off. Cause he without a doubt, as the head of one of the major or one of the formerly one of the major crypto exchanges has information about Tether, Binance, and a number of other Major, excuse me, major crypto, uh, you know, uh, uh, companies that basically help prop up this entire, uh, industry. And if he really wants to, uh, screw with them, he easily could. We, we know people have known for so long that what Tether has been saying about being backed one to one is an absolute lie because they just print up billions of dollars almost seemingly overnight. And there's no influx of capital that is known about. So we'll just have to wait this out and see. I do think the FTX uh, uh, court cases are going to be a huge deal in in making those dominoes eventually fall, though.
1: That's a really interesting yeah. point.
0: Crystal and I were talking about that last night, that my fear was like, oh, you're going to have all these people who are so guilty of so many crimes basically. You know, get away with it because they're all gonna just flip on SBF and we'll get F, uh, SBF, but we won't get anybody else. But that's, you just made a great point that I never thought of before, which is yeah, he's got information too. Yeah. He's got information on probably CZ.
1: He, oh, he the could other- roll up a few other people and make a, make somewhat of a deal. That'll be interesting to watch. You know, Matt, my last question for you, um, you could take it whatever direction you want, but your specialty is covering the scam economy, things like FTX, things like, frankly, you know, the mythology around Elon Musk. I mean, we've seen Tesla shares and their valuation fall off a cliff. It was probably wildly overvalued to start with. And they're not the only ones, I mean, especially as long as the Fed was keeping interest rates at You had all of these companies that because money was so cheap, they basically are, you know, net negative profits every single year. And yet they're able to bring in more cash. Companies make more money off of just like, you know, stock buybacks and their shares do better that way than when they actually innovate. What is what do you think is the reason that so much of our economy at this point is effectively a scam economy?
2: Right. I mean, the people with the money, frankly, just aren't that smart, to be quite honest. Especially in this whole industry that I mostly cover with like the, you know, the tech sector, um, the, you know, the, the, the crypto world, uh, which sort of s- straddles the line between the finance world and the tech world. Uh, they frankly, these, these big venture capitalists, A lot of them sort of just stumbled into their money. They were at the right place at the right time during the dot com bubble or the early days after they rode the wave during the, you know, the late 2000s, early 2010s, where basically if you came up with a social media platform that sounded even somewhat interesting, you all of a sudden were, uh, getting bought out for hundreds of millions of dollars by Facebook or, uh, you know, YouTube, Google. Uh, so a lot of them just struck, got lucky and struck it rich with this one major idea, then they become the power players. And a lot of people, a lot of these people are, are suckers for really their, their own, you know, their own drug. They then meet people like Sam Bankman Fried who come later on and are able to sweet talk them with the same sort of sweet talk they gave those VCs back in those early days that got their company bought out for those hundreds of millions, if not billions of dollars. And they see Sam Bankman-Fried as maybe a young them. So then they give hundreds of millions, if not billions of dollars to someone like Sam Bankman-Fried. And we just continue this, this sort of vicious cycle of people getting uh money for work that is highly, highly overvalued and is not anywhere near worth that much money. And then you have it sold to ordinary everyday people via things like the stock market who are told, oh, this is a great company. They make a great product. It's a great investment. And then people, pension funds, they buy into it. And then when it all collapses, those VCs, sure, they may, maybe make some losses, but they probably also gained from the few winners too. Um, but people like the retail investors and those pension funds, they're the major losers. They don't have that same insider information that got them in early with the winners. They got in late with pretty much everybody, winners and losers. So their, their, their winnings from the winners isn't all that much. Their loser, their losings from the losers is a lot. And they're, they're, they, you know, and basically that's where the money comes from. Like people have to understand crypto, especially with crypto, that's where the money comes from. When you go to a store and you buy a product or service, your money goes to that, you know, whatever item you just purchased. That transaction ends right there. The company that makes that item, they get their money. You get your product. Everyone's happy. But when you buy a token on a cryptocurrency exchange, that's not the end of the transaction. You don't want that token, like that token is worthless. You want to sell it off in the hopes of making more money. But to do that, you have to sell it to somebody who's willing to pay more for it. And if you can't find that person, then you lose. You lose all that money. If Bitcoin drops to zero tomorrow, if you're holding a thousand Bitcoin, it's worth nothing. You can't even put it up on your wall and treat it as decor. It's worthless. It's done. It's done. Like that's sort of the thing people have to understand. There's a huge difference in what we're seeing here in crypto, and in some ways, um, you know, the financial system as a whole, than like you know when you actually produce something uh, for for the economy for the world to actually take part in. Um, yeah, so it's it's a lot of all this stuff, honestly. And when it comes down to it, it's just you know we're people need to realize to stop looking up to these billionaires because. Their whole success story is just is just bullshit. It's just lies that they sold to you. You could work all you want, and you're ne- you're never going to be as successful as them unless you take part in the same, you know, bullshitting that they do. And for for seems like a lot of people just that's ethically against what they stand for. And I guess that's the one good thing that we can take out of this that uh, most people wouldn't do that to make uh, money because otherwise, I guess they would have already tried. <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> Matt Bender, thanks so much for joining us, man. Tell everybody uh where they can find you.
2: Sure. Well, you can't find me on Twitter right now because even though I'm unsuspended, they're forcing me to delete that tweet. Uh I probably will delete it because they've already taken it down. If it was still up there for people to see, I would on principle not delete it. But If it's just, if they've already removed it anyway, and all they're making me do is like feel the pain of pressing the button, um, then I mean, there's really no point to just not pressing the button. What I would probably end up doing is just screenshotting it and just editing out the, uh, the, the, the handle that got me suspended and just posting the tweet verbatim without that handle. Um, but yeah, I'm at Matt Binder pretty much everywhere. You can find me on YouTube, youtube.com slash Matt Binder. I'm on Mastodon too, at Matt Binder. Um, and you could find, uh, my shows, uh, doomed at doomedcast.com and scam economy at scameconomy.com.
0: Keep up the great work, dude. Thanks so much for joining us. We appreciate it.
1: Yeah. Great chatting with you, Matt. We enjoyed it. Thanks for having me.
0: All right. So that was Matt Binder. Um, yeah, the, uh, you know, he's making an interesting point at the end there. And this is something I've, uh, thought about a lot, uh, you know, talked about it quite a bit I think there's more evidence that we live in an anti-meritocracy than a meritocracy. Yeah. <laughs> because uh it, it like a lot of the people who make it to the top are like the most shameless. You know what I mean? Well,
1: you can kind of see it really clearly in the whole crypto thing. Like it's not an accident that the dudes who rose to the top of the crypto chain were the most shameless. Like, they had a skill set. The skill set was being con men. And, you know, the the rest of the economy is not as much of a scam as crypto is, but it has a lot of scammy elements to it. And it rewards the same type of people uh, in terms of rising to the top. So well, that's how you end up with, like, an Elon Musk, for example. And let me also say... um most of the richest people in the country don't didn't like invent or make anything or start any kind. They're mostly just like financial engineers shifting money around like hedge funders. That's who most of the richest people in the country are. What's
0: the um, who got a three point seven billion dollar fine?
1: Oh, uh, Wells Fargo.
0: So Wells Fargo got yeah. that three point seven billion dollar fine, but they made more money than what they're being fined. So
1: Ultimately, they get away with the scam. Right. And so here's the thing. Uh, I went in on Wells Fargo this week. So I'm deep in the weeds on this one. If it was a first of all, if it was you or me, you know, stealing people's cars and their homes and their money and whatever, forget it, we'd be in prison. But even if it was a small community bank or a smaller bank, their executives would likely be in prison and the bank would be shut down. No doubt about it. It's only because it's so large that it's able over a decade to get away with this repeated criminal behavior. I mean, the amount of scandals that they have been caught in at this point, opening fake accounts, illegally repossessing video uh, vehicles, illegally foreclosing on homes, illegally charging people, screwing up their credit, millions of people over more than 10 years. And they're still just allowed to, like, you know, get a fine and continue operation Again, it shows you if you can get big enough, you can basically get away with anything.
0: Yeah. So this idea of like the people who make it to the top are the smartest guys in the room in the meritocracy who are the most productive. And it's like that is just objectively not true at all. Some of the most brilliant people are working on some government grant for 40K a year in some lab, figuring out some amazing breakthrough. You know what I mean? Yeah, it's just total bullshit. Anti meritocracy is the best description I think. There's
1: another piece of this, which is that, especially um, in the last several, the last two decades, when you have post financial crash and you have the Fed pushing interest rates down to zero, and this is what I was alluding to, and you have all this um, money, all this cheap money sloshing around, and it becomes the case that you know you're actually rewarded more. In terms of the market by financial engineering than you are for any sort of product innovation. So, uh, Rana Varujar, who we had on the show and we talked to her about this, Apple, when they invented the iPod, their stock did not gain as much as when they did, uh, stock buyback and did like, like they were more rewarded for the financialization buyback. than they were for an actual invention. And that's the way it is in so much of our economy now. So then it's no surprise that, you know, the whole thing is like, built-on scams. Stock buybacks
0: used to be illegal until Ronald mm-hmm. Reagan made them legal.
1: Yeah, yeah. There's a
0: lot, of, again, people don't know a lot of these things. Like, there, in 1907, uh, the Tillman Act was passed into law. That was, you basically can't have corporate money in politics. yeah. Like, there are kind of simple solutions that would fix a lot of these problems, yeah. but, you know, nobody talks about it.
1: Well, and here's the other here's another corporate example for you. So uh, the major airlines now, they don't make the bulk of their profit from flying planes. That's good. They make the that's, bulk of their good. profit from basically running a hedge fund. That's what they, right. they that's how our economy has become so financialized is just moving money around in this. Basically, ultimately sort of fake way. And like I said, I mean, crypto is the most extreme example of that because at least the airlines do actually fly people and they do have something that they're doing. Whereas crypto is literally just just like Matt said, you and I could say we're we're minting KKF coin. we're minting KKF coin now. And if we are totally shameless con artists and convince people that it's worth something and get enough people to buy in and hire Kim Kardashian or whoever to be the spokesperson and put up an ad that says fortune favors of brave buy kkf coin or whatever then you can invent this whole thing out of absolutely nothing and run your ponzi scheme and and try to get out with your cash with real cash that you stole from those people under you before the whole thing collapses
0: yes uh crypto does not act as a hedge against inflation um it doesn't act as as a hedge against recession um and these were some of the core promises of it, that it's sort of like a stable thing that's outside of fiat currency. And if it can't even deliver on those basic promises, and now that there's like 5 trillion of them, yeah, it's like... What are we really doing here? What well, is this? What's the, going on?
1: The whole idea wasn't we're going to create this speculative investment. It was... It's, oh, it's going to be a currency. You're going to be able to use but it But it's not used as a currency but in the can. overwhelming
0: majority of cases. All yeah. it
1: is is just a pure speculative bet based on literally nothing. That's all it's come down to.
0: Amazing. All right, guys. There you have it. Uh, we love you. Thanks for listening. As always, you could support the show on Substack, Crystal Kyle and friends if you pay five dollars a month you get the video of all the interviews and you get it a day early you could also sign up for free on substack and then you get the audio version of the podcast which drops a day later um thank you so much for supporting us we don't do any advertisements we've never talked to any corporations or any shit like that we try to keep it as pure as possible and you guys make that possible so thanks so much and is this the are we gonna have another yeah we're
1: gonna do one next week
0: okay but when's Christmas, the 25th.
1: Christmas is...
0: But do the math on that. Are we having a show before
1: the next Christmas? Or... Before the new year, you mean?
0: No, before Christmas.
1: Oh, before Christmas? No. No.
0: Not before so Christmas. So then, in that case, Merry Christmas, guys. Merry Christmas, Merry guys. Christmas everybody. I was all that mental work just to say, <laughs> Merry Christmas, everybody. And happy holidays and happy Kwanzaa and happy... Happy everything. Falafel day and <laughs> whatever the fuck you believe. Love you to death and we'll talk to you next time. Peace.